Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. If you have a copy of scripture, you want to start turning there uh, this morning. That's going to be our text. I, uh, I really loved the heart of the video that we watched by John Perkins. Uh, he told the story of how he had been uh, thrown in jail in 1970. He was uh, beaten and tortured in that jail. And he made that statement that um, they looked like animals to me. And then he realized his own brokenness, that if he would have had a grenade, he would have pulled it and would have killed everyone. And he realized the very same issue was inside of his heart. Today, we're continuing a series. Um, it's called United We Stand. We're joining with churches all across the Houston area. Thousands of believers are, are studying the very same things that we're studying together. And so uh, this is bigger than just us. This is a collaboration of churches. And we really believe that the church is the hope of the world. That the church is God's plan A, B, C, D through Z. Like God's plan was a church and through the church to bring redemption, hope, and change the world. And so we want to be a voice of change in the midst of this broken world. And our goal, okay, it's not political. We're not trying to tell you how to vote. Our goal is that we would be equipped to think biblically and to engage with wisdom and grace in a topic that's so divisive. So united we stand. Um, I started last week in this way. I'll start it again this week. One of the ways that Jesus illustrated his kingdom is that he said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he buried it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all his possessions and he bought the field. Now, I love that because it talks about value right? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. It's like this treasure, this, this thing that we get to be a part of through Jesus is a treasure. It's so valuable. And this, this person sees something that so many people cannot see. And yet he sees this treasure. He finds it in the field. And I love that picture of value. Also, he sells all he has, right? It's like a value shift, it's like the whole time, I, I think of him on Facebook Marketplace as like the couch, the, the bicycle, the, uh, you know, the, the car, sell the house. And the whole time he's thinking like, this is such a great deal. This is an insane deal. Like I'm getting a field with treasure in it. It's a value. But the thing that keeps getting me about that statement is that the treasure came with an entire field. And I'm just wondering, as we look at the issue of race and reconciliation and how the church can be a voice of change, if in some way we've wanted the treasure, but we haven't wanted the whole field. In 1963, 
Martin Luther King Jr. said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. You've probably heard that statement before. 57 years later, in 2020, not a whole lot has changed. According to a recent survey by the Pew uh, Research Center, eight in 10 Americans that worship in a church worship in a church that is predominantly one race. It's still, 57 years later, one of the most divided hours in America. And what I want to talk about this morning is, why is that? Like, what's caused this? What's, what's caused this? Because if you look back at history and you look at the, the you know, uh, slavery, the, the abolition of slavery, you look at the civil rights movement, every step of the way, what you're going to find is that there are Christians leading the way. Like, it's, it's been the most powerful thing to change what's happening with race. And yet, somehow, We've, we have the most compelling message of equality and, and freedom and love for our brother and love for one another. And yet somehow we're still segregated. Why is that? I've been reading a book um, and it is called Divided by Faith and it is a book all about this issue. And I've been a learner. In fact, the, the story that we're going to read today from Galatians 2 is about a leader who has to become a lead learner. And I've been learning with you guys because, uh, like you, I was born in 1970. Well, I don't know when you were born. You, you're, you're coming onto the scene of an issue, and whenever you were born, you experienced certain things around an issue, but you haven't experienced all the other things that you've heard about. Okay, so I come into this just like you, like I come into the story at a certain point and I, I only see what I see. And so I've, I've tried to have the posture of a learner. This book, uh, Divided by Faith, th the premise of the book is basically that um, even though we have all the things within Christianity to be a force of unity and change and equality and all the good things that we want to see happen with race, that there's things at work subconsciously that subvert the message. And so today, I want us to look at that together. Why don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And the title of the sermon today is Drawing the Lines Differently. Drawing the Lines Differently. I'm going to read from verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2. It says this, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Uh-oh. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. When the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their Hypocrisy, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas. Now, just so you know, Cephas is Peter. That was his, uh, the name when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, Cephas, right? I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? 
We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this this kind of clashing of two Christian leaders. Paul, the apostle, he's the chosen instrument to the Gentiles. He's there in in, uh, Antioch, and Cephas comes, Peter comes, and when Peter gets there, He's living it up with his Gentile brothers. He's eating bacon. He's, you know, he's, he's doing all the stuff that he can't do in the kosher world, all right? He's having a great time. But all of a sudden, his buddies from Jerusalem show up. Now, remember, Peter was the, the bold one on the day of Pentecost, filled by the Spirit. Talk about all the different languages, like everybody heard the gospel in their own language. And Peter, he's a church planter. I mean, they started that thing in Jerusalem. Now he's in Antioch, and he's living like a Gentile. And then his friends come, and he's like, oh, no more bacon for me, right? I've got to stop doing all these things. So what he does is he begins to observe the ceremonial law like all those that are in the circumcision party. Now, the circumcision party was not like a fun weekend experience with your Christian brothers. (laughs) Okay, that didn't work at all. Circumcision party, forget it. Um, it uh, It was a a group of Christians that believed in the gospel of Jesus and they believed also that you had to observe all the ceremonial laws. So all the, the eating laws, uh, the purity laws, the um, special days, feast, holidays, they observed all these things. And so Peter fears them. That's what it says. And we have this interaction. Now, you need to understand the book of Galatians is a book all about freedom. I mean, that's the whole theme. It's that, that famous verse, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That came out of Galatians. And what he's talking about is there's freedom from the law. Okay? There's freedom from the law. So, the first thing that I think we need to understand from this passage is that fear can make us fall back into old lines of division. Fear can make us fall back into old lines of division. Now, just imagine what it feels like to be Peter in this situation, right? All your friends, the ones who look like you, who talk like you, who have the same cultural touch points as you. It's like you have stories and inside jokes and all kinds of things. And when they show up, it's like the the gravitational pull. It's like you just want to be with them. And so Peter, he's feeling the tension of just wanting to go back into what was a Jew thing, to go back into the old lines of division. And Peter fears them. He's like, what will they think about me? Like, I'm just visiting here. When I go back there, it's like, 
are they going to ostracize me? Or, or are they not going to respect my authority anymore because they saw me eating with the Gentiles or, or, or something like that? So he's, he's feeling the tension, the, the fear. Now, have you ever felt that before, right? We, I think we all have. We felt peer pressures. We felt like, ah, like there's a group of people and I feel like I need to go along to get along. So Peter feels the pressure. He's afraid. And what he's experiencing is the power of the group. Now, sociologists say that every group has to have a boundary, meaning there's an in and there's an out, okay? Every group has to have an in. And so the Jewish group is like, here's how you're in. Follow the law. And if you have Jesus, fantastic. We're Messianic Jews. We're going to follow Jesus, but we're going to do the law. And if you, you have to do the law if you're going to be in the group. And so he falls back into the old line of divisions. But Paul, oh, I mean, Paul's the bold one, right? Paul, he throws the flag. He blows the whistle. You know, he's like, foul, right? He calls him out in front of everyone. Now, if you're a leader, there's nothing worse than being called out in front of everyone, right? I mean, if you're, if, if you're just a person like in, in the workplace and like you're in a meeting and everyone's like, you, right? Like it is gotta be, it's gotta be a, a tense moment for, to, to, to say the least, it's a tense moment. Verse 14, he says, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? That key phrase is this, they were deviating from the truth of the gospel. See, the second thing I think we need to understand is that putting group over gospel misses the gospel. I'm going to say that again. Putting group over gospel misses the gospel. Paul sees that they're deviating from the truth of the gospel. He sees what's happening. He, he sees this is peer pressure. It's like, this is not true. This is not right. He calls them out publicly. And Peter unwittingly puts his group identity over his gospel identity with other Christians, Jewish believers. And he deviates from the gospel. John Perkins mentioned this in the video about church planting. And he said the word homogenous. I don't know if you caught that in the video. Homogenous. Now, that just means of the same type or of the same kind. What you need to understand is in the history of church life, the last, the last 50 years has been what's called the church growth movement. And there was a book uh, written by C. Peter Wagner, and it's called Our Kind of People. It was written in 1979, and in the book, he, on the back cover, he says the statement by Martin Luther King Jr. that 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in Christian America. He goes, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. That can actually be a positive thing. 
And in the book, he coins a phrase called the homogenous unit principle. And what they said is this, look, it's okay that we're all different, that's fine, that's totally cool. Here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna plant churches that go after one type of person, okay? So the last 50 years of church life in America has been marked by homogenous unit principle where planters plant a church tailored to a certain kind of person. And the reason why is that churches could grow faster if our cultural lines were not challenged. It was pragmatic. They could grow faster. And so what happened is denominations would say, cool, here's what we're going to do. We're going to plant a white church. We're going to plant a black church. We're going to plant a Korean church. We're going to plant a Chinese church. We're going to plant a Filipino church. The list just went on and on and on and on of different types of churches that you plant so that cultural lines don't need to be crossed and you could grow faster. Now, there's some merit to the idea, right? I mean, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of things in that that make a lot of sense to us. However, this is where the message of the gospel and the practice of the church produce two different results. Because homogenous churches develop distinct styles, right? There's certain styles of music. There's certain churches where the service is like, it better not be longer than an hour or like I'm leaving the church, right? If it's like 55 minutes, that would be ideal for me, but 60 minutes is passable. Now, there are other churches where they're like, I don't know where, when it's going to end. Like, we, uh, the Cowboys aren't playing today, so it could go for like two or three hours. Like, pastor looks pretty stirred up today, you know. So there's different styles of services, different styles of music. And what happens is that when someone who doesn't fit the tailored taste of the congregation comes in, they don't feel like they're in. They don't feel like they fit the boundary of the group. And so what happens is there's this gravitational pull that just kind of pulls everyone into niche churches. Now, roll back even further to the First Amendment. Do you guys know what that says, the First Amendment? It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of. This is where we get religious freedoms from. But you need to understand also that before this time, churches were state authorized and state funded. So there's the Church of England, the official church, supported by tax. Now, what happens in America is that um, there becomes, because of this amendment, a free market of churches, which means that churches have to begin to uh, distinguish themselves, not so much as the, the church, the official church of whatever, but they have to uh, have their own distinctness, their own brand, their own niche. Of church. They would distinguish themselves against other churches. It's probably why we have so many denominations in America, right? 
And the capitalistic effect of our society is that we want to have the greatest benefit for the lowest cost. Now, I know what I'm saying is, you're like, what is he talking about? I, I, I understand. But I think what's happened is that we've basically sent the message, you can have the treasure, but you don't have to buy the field. You can have the treasure, the gospel of Jesus, but you don't need to buy the whole field. See, when group lines trespass on gospel lines, we begin to miss the treasure. John Perkins said in the video, this multicultural expression is the vision of heaven. It's what God had in mind. In, in our place, in Fort Bend County, in Richmond, Texas, absolutely. We should be a church that's aiming at multicultural, that we, we should say we want to look like our community. Whoever's here, we want them to feel comfortable being here. So, thirdly, Jesus draws the lines differently. This is so important. Jesus draws the lines differently. Verses 15 and 16, he says, if we are Jews by birth and not, he's throwing out labels, Racial labels, Gentile sinners, quote unquote, if we're, if, if we're Jews and not those Gentiles over there, and yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. Here's, here's what he's saying. Look, it's not a Jew thing, and it's not a Gentile thing. It's a new thing. We're not saved by the works of the law, like the Jewish people are saying. And Paul and Peter are both calling different kinds of people into the same body, the church, the redeemed people of God. This gospel erases old lines, but then it draws new ones, because every group has to have a boundary, a clear in or a clear out, but it's not, are you in our cultural group now? It's, are you in Christ? Those who are in Christ are in the church, in the body of Christ. The sociologists have found that fuzzy lines make weak groups. So if you have a fuzzy line in your group, it's kind of like, ah, there's no in, there's no out. What happens is that people kind of get pulled into other groups that are more distinct because it's just our human nature. And I think that in drawing strong cultural lines without drawing strong spiritual lines, we fuzzied up the gospel lines. So, What's the point of all this? Here's my big takeaway for you today, is that your gospel identity must outrank your racial identity. Your gospel identity must outrank your racial identity. I would say it also this way, your gospel identity must outrank any other group identity. 
I have a feeling that right now in our nation, if you've been paying attention, it's not so much what color are you, I feel like, anymore. I think it's kind of where do you fall on the political spectrum? And it's so easy for us to so identify strongly with one point on a spectrum that we begin to say, oh, that's as important as my gospel identity. I just want to say to you in the name of Jesus, that's not true. That your gospel identity must outrank any other group identity that you have, whether it be white, black, brown, Hispanic, Asian, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever it is. Our gospel identity must outrank it. Because when your identity is secure, fear loses its power over you. That's the beautiful thing. When you know who you are in Jesus, when you know who you are in Christ, in the church, fear begins to lose its power over you. When, you, when your identity is secure, you have courage to do what is right, like Paul, <laughs> who stands up in front of everyone's like, foul. Where'd that courage come from? It had to come from gospel identity. When your identity is secure, you're free from the old lines. Whatever group it is that you just kind of feel the pull, like, I need to become like these people. Now you're free. Because a greater identity has supplanted a lesser identity. When your identity is secure, you can follow Jesus across any line and call people in to the kingdom of God. Peter truly was a lead learner. 15 years after this moment, he writes a, a book or a letter that we call First Peter. And in First Peter, here's what he says about identity. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see the change? 15 years later, he, he gives this beautiful uh, statement. You, people of God, are a chosen race. Not Jew, not Gentile, everyone called into, and here's what we're called in. Here's the line of demarcation, out of darkness into marvelous light. So today, I want to ask you, how are you doing with identity? Are you saturated in an understanding of who you are in Jesus? Like when you came alive, when you were born again in Christ, when you believed your heart came alive, you were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You were, you were an enemy of God. Now you are a beloved child. You were separated from him. Now you are fully embraced by him. You're completely loved, completely accepted. 
when he looks at you. He doesn't see all the, all the old junk. He sees you through the eyes of a perfect sacrificial son named Jesus. He sees holiness and blamelessness on you because of the blood of Christ that covers you. You're not a failure. You're not a loser. You're not ugly. You are beautiful in the eyes of your father. Are you saturated within Christ? This is who I am. Because when you are, when you're, when you're able to see that line of in, it will help you cross all the other lines. You will draw the lines differently. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.